The text which I've chosen for this morning is uh, from Luke 10, the verses 25 to 37. It's the passage, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, the parable of the Good Samaritan is perhaps, I would argue, the most well-known of any parable that Jesus told. It's a parable that's well-known not just among Christians, not just among Christianity. It's a parable that's known by many who don't believe. If you were to, uh, if you were to meet someone on the street and to ask them about the Good Samaritan, chances are they would have some idea of what you were talking about. And t- the, the, the idea of using parables was something that uh, Jesus employed constantly. It was one of his favorite teaching strategies, and he would often use it to unpack the motives. He would use it to unpack the heart, sometimes the misunderstandings of his critics or of those who challenged him. And that's kind of some of the background that's also going on here in this passage as well. So we'll read together from Luke 10, the verses 25 then. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So far the word of God. Congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus often uses parables to unpack the motives, the heart, the misconceptions, the misunderstandings of his opponents, of his critics. You see it throughout the gospel. And you notice immediately that in this case, in the case of the Good Samaritan, that the critic, the challenger, the opponent is a lawyer. That's how he's described. He's a man who was an expert in the law. He was a religious leader among the Jews. And one thing that you notice at the outset from the larger context of the Gospel of Luke is that this group, these religious leaders, these Pharisees, the experts in the law, 
they were increasingly uncomfortable with the growing popularity of Jesus among the people. They were increasingly uncomfortable with his growing influence. They were jealous. And from their perspective, you you have to understand that a little bit. I mean, for so long, they were the ones who the people looked to for religious instruction. For so long, they were the ones who told people how to live. They were the ones who told people what they could and what they could not do. And for so long, they were the ones who interpreted God's law for the people. They were the ones who told the people what it really meant for them. But then all of a sudden, you had this new teacher arrive on the scene. You had Jesus. And he seemed to have a bit of a a different take on things. He did things that they said should not be done. He healed on the Sabbath. He ate with sinners, with tax collectors. It seemed that he, he continually seemed to violate their rules. He was undermining the system that they had built. And yet that was exactly the point that Jesus was trying to expose. He was trying to expose the fact that these Pharisees, these experts in the law, these lawyers, they had built a system. They had built a religion of legalism. Instead of it being a a joy and a privilege to be part of the people of God, instead of it being a joy and a privilege to be able to follow the law of God, we're told that these people had made it a burden And so Jesus, he speaks out specifically against this. You could look at Luke 11. He says, Woe to you, lawyers. Woe to you, for you load people with burdens hard to bear. And then he goes on to say, And you yourselves, you don't do anything to help them. He says again, Woe to you, lawyers, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. He says to them, You yourselves are not entering, but what's worse is that you're actually preventing other people. You're drawing other people astray. Jesus' message to many of the Pharisees, many of the lawyers, his message was simply that you've, you've so badly misunderstood the law of God that you're actually drawing people away. And it's for that reason, actually, that he tells this parable, this parable of the Good Samaritan. So often we think that the central question of this passage is really about who is my neighbor. And that is an important question. It's a relevant question. But the central question that Jesus is actually answering in this passage is how should I understand the law of God? And we'll see today as we work through the text that Jesus Christ demonstrates that the law of God is in fact, it's a law of love. And that's how I've summarized the message this morning. Jesus Christ demonstrates that the law of God is a law of love. And as we work through this, there will be three points that I'd like to focus on. Beginning with the first part of the text, we'll see that Jesus asks this lawyer about the meaning of the law of God. And then he moves on to illustrate for this lawyer the meaning of God's law. And then finally, he concludes by applying the meaning. So what do we know about the larger context of this parable? Well, there's not a great deal. We do know from the larger context of Luke, we know that Jesus is on his way ultimately to Jerusalem. He's on his way to his death. He's coming from somewhere in Galilee in the north. He's come through Samaria. And then all we know is that at some point along the way, 
presumably at, at some type of gathering, some type of meeting, we're told that this lawyer stands up to ask him a question. And I think if we're fair, and if we, we just look at things from the outside, it seems legitimate at first. I mean, he follows the, the customs of his day. He does show respect. He, he stood when addressing his teacher. He even has the courtesy of calling Jesus rabbi. He calls him teacher. But at the same time, the text makes clear that this is just a sham. It's, it's a completely false front. It's all for show because the real motive of this lawyer, we're told, is to test Jesus. He wants to trick him. He thinks that he is going to trap Jesus. And so he asks him this question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He asks Jesus the question. The question that we also as Christians are pointing people to. What must you do to inherit eternal life? But the answer to that question is sometimes concerning. And and, and it shows a little bit in the mentality of this lawyer. Because this lawyer is viewing this question as what can he do to inherit eternal life? He wants a list of of regulations. He wants a list of requirements. And to be honest, that's an idea that still lives among Christianity today. Lives among those also who look in on Christianity. They, They often see the Christian faith as all about being these people that have these things that they do to inherit eternal life. It's a a misunderstanding, but it is a view that's often held. And it is the view of this lawyer. He wants Jesus to give him a checklist. He wants some regulations that he can follow. Perhaps he's even hoping that Jesus will point him to the regulations of the law of God. And I mean, that would be excellent for this guy because when it comes to the law, he's an expert. Nobody knows the law like this guy. And he wants to demonstrate that, you see. He wants to show people how well he knows the law of God. He wants to demonstrate for Jesus just how religious he is. But Jesus is not sucked in. He's not tricked by the man's false show. He knows the man's heart, knows his motives. And so rather than responding to his question, Jesus actually flips the tables on this guy. Rather than responding to his question, Jesus says to him, well, you're a lawyer. You know the law. Jesus says, why don't you tell me? How do you read the law? Jesus says to him, why don't you tell me how you interpret it? And you have to imagine that the guy has taken a little bit aback. I mean, here he thought he was going to trick Jesus and ask him questions, and all of a sudden he needs to give answers. But he knows the law well, and so he responds with this very well-known summary of the law of God. He says, and he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, and Leviticus 19, verse 18. He says to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer says, this is what it's all about. At the heart of the law, this is what it really is about. And he's right. 
He's right, and Jesus even acknowledges as much. At the heart of it all lay such a simple truth. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. So do this, says Jesus to the man. Do this, and you will live. It's almost as if Jesus says to the man, you know what needs to be done, just do it. Love God, love your neighbor. In the matter of a few short sentences, Jesus seems to have made the pathway to eternal life look so simple. And yet, it's obviously not so simple. Because we know that nobody here loves the Lord their God with their whole heart and their whole soul and their whole mind and their whole strength. And there's not one of us here, I can guarantee you, that loves their neighbor truly as themselves. And the lawyer, I'm sure he knew this. The truth was that none of them, none of these religious leaders, the Pharisees, the experts in the law, none of them could keep the law of God perfectly None of them were able to love God perfectly, to love their neighbor perfectly. But they covered it up. They covered it up by building this entire system of small regulations and small rules which they could keep. And so they deceived themselves into thinking that things were just fine. They thought they were doing pretty well. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, This type of thinking is also a temptation for us today. It's so easy for us to come here this morning and and to kind of take out our mental notebook and to look at things and say, well, I'm in church. Check. I've been to Bible study this week. Check. I've read my Bible. Check. And we just work through the list. Check. 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 And before we know it, we start to think, well, God, I'm doing pretty well for you. Instead of reflecting on the truth of the gospel, which says it is all about what God has done for us. You see, the law of God was never, ever put in place so that people could earn their way to heaven. Galatians 3 is a passage, if you have time today to read it, Galatians 3 is a passage that deals specifically with this point. The truth is that if it was all about us earning our way to heaven, all of us would be in deep, deep trouble. Because all of us this week, we have lied. All of us have stolen. All of us have committed adultery. All of us have murdered. Every single one of us, including myself. No, maybe not explicitly, maybe not explicitly, but in our minds, in our hearts, Absolutely. And so what we need to recognize when we hear the law of God read as we did this morning needs to remind us that we all need God's grace. Every single one of us needs God's grace. As we hear the law of God read on Sunday, we need to be reminded of truly by nature who we are. We need to be reminded of what we cannot do But then the gospel turns us to the hope and the joy of Jesus Christ. 
and what has been done for us. The law of God points to Christ. Galatians 3 verse 27 says that the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ and ultimately then it points to the love of God shown to us in Jesus Christ. But in this text, in this passage, the lawyer doesn't see God's law this way. To him, God's law is a system. It is a checklist. Because maybe he sees the love of God, but he also sees these things that, that he needs to do. Instead of responding in thankfulness to the love of God, this lawyer thinks that he needs to earn the love of God. In fact, he's kind of proud of it. He wants to show people how closely he follows the rules. He wants to demonstrate for Jesus. He wants to justify himself, we're told. He wants to show off his obedience, and so he will not let things lie. No, he says to Jesus, I'd like a definition of who my neighbor is. And because the lawyer does not get it, Jesus proceeds to illustrate for him the meaning of the law of God. And he does so by way of this parable. He begins, he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now I want you to know that the journey that Jesus is describing here was, in fact, a notoriously dangerous one. Uh, the trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was about 17 miles. You went from 2,500 feet above sea level to 1,000 feet below sea level at Jericho. And this involved a descent of about... 3,500 feet down this, this long, rocky, rugged path. Well, as you can imagine, the nature of this terrain kind of made it prime territory for bandits, for highway bandits, for robbers. And it's into the hands of robbers like this that, that the man falls. They rob him, they beat him, they strip him of his clothes, and the text says they leave him half dead. Pretty dark situation painted to start the parable. But Jesus says, with thankfulness, that there's a man coming down the road. He says, by chance, a priest was coming down the same way. Now, when Jesus chooses the character of the priest here, he is choosing someone who represents, you could say, the upper class of the Jewish religion. The priest was a servant in the temple of the Lord. He was a man who was directly involved in the worship of the Lord. In Jewish circles, he was a big deal. He was a man who commanded respect. He was a man of influence. And yet, what does the priest do? We're told that he comes, he goes to the opposite side of the road, and he, he passes him by. This man of influence just leaves this half-dead traveler on the roadside. It's kind of a stunning response. And so many people want to ask the question, they want to say, well, why? And commentators spend a great deal of time coming up with all sorts of reasons as to why he possibly left the man on the side of the road. But the point of this parable is that Jesus doesn't give a reason it's not about the man's reason. It is about the reality, the truth, that this influential representative of the Jewish religion, this man who knew the law of God, it is about the fact that he just simply left the man there to die. 
And yet the story is not over. We're told that a second man comes down the road, this time a Levite. And when Jesus chooses the Levite, you could say that he's choosing someone who forms the middle class of the Jewish religion. He's also a servant, serves in the temple of the Lord. But he has a role that's slightly different. Whereas the priest is directly involved in worship, the Levite, he kind of played a secondary role. He was involved in the the, the good order, the cleanliness of the temple. But he's still an important figure. Among the Jews, he's still a man that commands respect, that commands influence. And yet, what does he do? Well, he does the same thing as the priest. He passes by. In fact, the text seems to suggest, at least with the Levite, that he came close, that he had a good look, and then he passed him by. I mean, this must have been a crushing blow for this lawyer to hear. Here you had these two men from the top tier of their religious system, men who knew the law of God, who knew the command to love God with your whole heart, your whole soul, your whole mind, your whole strength, who knew the command to love your neighbor as yourself. And yet they were not putting it into practice. But Jesus says there is a third man who comes down the road. And from the trajectory of this parable, you would think that this guy is going to be your average, ordinary, everyday Jew. We started with the priest, we've started with kind of the upper class, and then we've got the Levite, the middle class, and it would just seem to make sense that the next guy coming down the road would be your common Jew. But Jesus, in this shocking reversal, he says it's a Samaritan, a Samaritan who comes down the road. And to understand something of this, you have to know a little bit about the history behind the Samaritans and the Jews. You see, the Samaritans... They were a people who'd been brought in by the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria, he came, he captured Israel, he sent them into exile, and then he brought in these other people to settle the land. These Samaritans. They'd come in, they married with some of those who were left behind, and they ended up kind of adopting, maybe you could call it a a hybrid, a partial form of the Jewish religion. But when the Jews looked at them, They saw a people who were not Jews by natural descent. They were not Jews by blood. They saw people who were imposters. You truly have to understand how much they hated the Samaritans. And I'm sure the feeling was probably mutual. And it's this hatred, it's this bitterness that makes the parable so pointed. It's what makes the parable so blunt. Here you have two men for the Jews, these two men who know everything, who know their religion, who know the law of God. And yet Jesus uses the example of this lowly, this despised Samaritan to show them what it meant to live it. And isn't it amazing how God sometimes still does that today? Isn't it amazing when God uses those we least expect to highlight our own hypocrisy? Sometimes you meet someone who is brand new to the Christian faith, who only knows just a little bit. But boy, sometimes they can show us what it means to live it. 
Isn't it humbling? Isn't it humbling when God uses children, toddlers sometimes, to show us what it means to live it? It's humbling, but we need it. Sometimes we do need to be reminded. We need to be reminded that you can't say on the one hand, I love the Lord my God with my whole heart, my whole soul, my mind, my strength, and yet not show love to your neighbor. You can't say that you have been humbled, that you've been touched, that you've been broken by the grace of God shown to you in Christ Jesus and have no compassion for others. The law of God, and sorry, the love of God and the love of neighbor, they're inseparable. The one naturally flows out of the other. Think of what John says in 1 John 4, verse 20. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And that's not to suggest this morning That's not to suggest that those who love God will now love their neighbor perfectly. And we shouldn't pretend that this good Samaritan did either. But what he did do is he made every effort. He made every effort to show the love of God to this traveler. He came to him, he stopped, he picked him up, he put him on his donkey, he binds his wounds, he cleans his wounds with oil, and he brings him to the safety of this nearby inn. And then when he gets there, he says, here's some money. Make sure he's cared for. This Samaritan makes every effort to show the love of God. But he's not perfect. And neither are we. The whole point of the gospel is that there only ever was one who was perfect. The whole point of the gospel is that there only ever was one who kept the law of God in the fullest. And that's our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the irony, the great irony of this parable is that this lawyer is sitting there asking Jesus about the law of God and what it meant when he could have just seen it lived in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ loved the Lord his God, so much that that he showed love to whomever God put on his path. Look at the ministry of Jesus Christ. He loves lepers. He loves prostitutes. He loves these tax collectors, these sinners. He loves people like you and I. The point of the gospel, Jesus Christ coming to earth on our behalf. I think Tim Keller has a great definition of the gospel. He says, the gospel is that Jesus Christ came to earth to live the life we should have lived and to die the death that we should have died. That's the gospel. That is the love of God shown to us in Jesus Christ. And it is that love shown to us, that is the love that drives our love to others. It's the love of God to us, his undeserved grace, that changes the way that we treat the people we meet. And that is the lesson that this lawyer 
needed to learn. You know, the question, the question never should have been, who is my neighbor? Have you ever thought about the fact that the question, who is my neighbor, implies that in the mind of this lawyer, there were those who were not his neighbor. The very question itself, who is my neighbor, says that in his mind, some were not his neighbor. The question, if he had understood the love of God shown to him in Christ Jesus, the question should have been, who can I become a neighbor to? And that's exactly what Jesus says in the parable. Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved, or it's sometimes translated, became the neighbor to the traveler on the road? The question Jesus asks is not, who is the neighbor? The question Jesus asks is, who became the neighbor? And that answer is obvious. It was the Samaritan And the lawyer is willing to acknowledge it, but he hates the guy so much that he won't say his name. He just says, well, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. What a humbling command for this pious lawyer. Jesus looks at him and he says, go and be like this, this lowly, this despised Samaritan. Talk about a humility pill. But the truth is, if you love the Lord your God with everything you have, then then, then it shows, then it shows in the way that you live. If we see the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ shown to us sinners, then it's our joy, it's our privilege to show love to those that he puts on our path. It's not something that you have to do. It's something that you get to do. God blesses God graces each and every person here. Every week, he blesses us with an opportunity to show the love that he first showed to us. Every week we get that opportunity. And I think that makes us have to ask sometimes difficult questions of ourselves. I think we have to say sometimes that that if we're honest, sometimes our question, even as churches, is who is my neighbor? Sometimes our thoughts, our words, our actions, they do suggest that there are actually parameters around who gets to be the neighbor. When we look at our church life, isn't it true? Isn't it true that we all love convenient neighbors? We love convenient neighbors, neighbors who are easy to love. But this parable is telling us you need to go to the fringes to the lost, to the lonely, to the hurt, to those people who come with struggles, and you need to ask them, can I be a neighbor to you? Are our doors open here? Are our doors open? When we meet people who come, come here maybe to worship, And they have these different backgrounds, different races, different ethnicities, these different life stories. Are we willing to look past our differences and find joy in a common love for Jesus Christ? Are our doors open? Maybe the better question is, are our hearts open? Are our hearts open? I pray that God would give us hearts 
hearts that understand God for who he is. I pray that God would give us hearts that recognize ourselves for who we are. Just sinners, people who are just as undeserving, just as undeserving, no more entitled to God's grace than anybody else. I pray that God would give us the eyes that see that by nature, we and all mankind, we are a mess. We are the ones who are bloodied and beaten and stripped half naked and left on the roadside. In fact, Ephesians says we are dead. We're dead in our transgressions and sins. I pray that we would, we would look at each other as a church community and we would look at those that God puts on our path and recognize that the one thing that we all have in common is a desperate, desperate need for the grace of God. And that, that is what God offers us in Jesus Christ. God offers the grace of Jesus Christ. John 1.16 says, From his fullness we have received grace upon grace. We have received more grace than we can fathom and so much more than we deserve. We've received the grace of Jesus Christ. And that grace brings joy. It brings freedom. It brings liberation. So I pray that we all might live in the joy of that freedom. I pray that we might live in the joy of the grace of Jesus Christ and I pray that we would see it as our joy, as our privilege to share that grace and to share that love with others. Amen.